The Italian Wine Podcast is introducing a new donation drive this month. It's called Why Am I a Fan? We are encouraging anyone who tunes in on a regular basis to send us your 10-second video on why you are a fan of our podcast network or a specific show. We will then share your thoughts with the world with the goal of garnering support for our donation drive. Italian Wine Podcast is a publicly funded, sponsor-driven enterprise that needs you in order to continue to receive awesome free wine edutainment seven days a week. We are asking our listeners to donate to the Italian Wine Podcast by clicking either the GoFundMe link or the Patreon link found on italianwinepodcast.com. Remember, if you sign up as a monthly donor on our Patreon, we will send you a free IWP t-shirt and a copy of the Wine Democracy book, the newest Mama Jumbo Shrimp publication. Thanks for tuning in to Get U.S. Market Ready with Italian Wine People on the Italian Wine Podcast. I'm Steve Ray, your host, and this podcast features interviews with the people actually making a difference in the Italian wine market in America, their experiences, challenges, and personal stories. And I'll be adding a practical focus to the conversation based on my 30 years in the business. So if you're interested in not just learning how, but also how else, then this pod is for you. Hi, this is Steve Ray, and welcome to this week's edition of Get U.S. Market Ready with Italian Wine People. We're recording this uh, at the Wine to Wine Forum uh, that took place in Verona, Italy, uh, a month or so ago. And my guest today is Mike Wangbickler of uh, Balzac Communications. Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks, Steve. Great to be on. Give us a little uh, overview of of you and your company and uh, what you guys do. I own an agency called Balzac Communications and Marketing. We've been around for uh, 30 years, um, specializing in the wine and spirit space. And uh, so we do public relations and marketing um, for wineries, wine regions, distilleries, um, some food companies, etc. And we um, offer all kinds of services. We're pretty, pretty much full service at this point. So we offer digital marketing, public relations, advertising, event marketing, influencer marketing, uh, you name it. And uh, you're in headquartered in California, but I understand you've gone almost 100% remote. That's correct. Yeah. So when COVID happens and shut down pretty much the world, I've already been thinking about moving towards a more remote model for the agency. And with COVID, basically was the opportunity for me to do that. So well, while other people were looking at COVID as a disaster, I was looking at it as an opportunity. And so what that enabled me to do was to find great talent wherever they were they didn't have to be working in my office and so honestly i can find better talent elsewhere um, and get exactly what i need to meet the needs of my clients without having to compromise okay great let's cut to the chase of the, the issue on the table and that is how pr for wine is changing. And I should point out that while a lot of the work that Balzac does is American companies who do a fair number of export markets, promotion groups, consortia, and individual wine and spirit companies. But give us some perspective of how has PR changed, and not just with COVID, but journalism and technology? Oh boy, where do we start? Right. <laughs> we may not have enough time for that. Right. So firstly, once upon a time, we would consider public relations and marketing to be separate entities. You know, there are different functions within a company or even within a different agency. 
The thing is, is now those the lines between public relations and marketing has blurred to the point where there really isn't much of a difference. And so when, when we're looking at how public relations works today, it's not only sending out press releases and reaching out to media, uh, but it's also reaching out on social channels. And maybe it's, you know, putting together email marketing campaigns and maybe it's a little bit of advertising. You never know. So, but the thing is, is that it all needs to work together, right? Because um, you can't, you know, for a long time, I think that digital marketing kind of sat in a vacuum, right? It was basically that thing, like, oh, I want to do social media marketing. So it was a separate thing. But now people have realized that it needs to be integrated with everything else. Right. So when you are, for instance, putting out an announcement uh, about some major news that you have at your winery or your distillery, you're not just putting that out in a press release. You're putting that out in every channel that you have. And that includes digital channels, it includes email marketing, et cetera. So I guess one of the statements I would make there is digital marketing is no longer an option. I say that, but yet I work with a lot of different people, companies, entities around the world and in the U.S., who that's a, a scary statement because they don't know how to approach it. And how do you guys help people become comfortable with social media integration into the whole PR? Thing? Well, marketing in general is just like any other business function and that you need a strategic approach, right? You need to develop a marketing strategy. And when it comes to digital marketing, that has to be included in your marketing strategy. So, um, sitting down and determining, okay, what is it that we want to accomplish? What is it that we need to do here in order to help promote our company? One of the big issues I've seen in my career in PR, that's what I started in, is metrics. And the only metrics we had were exposures uh, or impressions. And that's a poor, indic- poor proxy for the effectiveness of the, of the PR program. Has that changed? Well, it gets, there's even, there were even worse metrics, like, AV, <laughs> like AVEs, right? So, it, which is, which is uh, well, it's equivalent ad value oh. or ad value equivalency, right? So the, the idea basically was that, you know, if you got an article published, you know, depending on how much space it took up in the periodical, you know, that would be the equivalent of an ad. You know, Boy, that's that. a reach. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, but it was, but it was, but it was a, a metric that was used in, you know, for, for many, many years, decades. Um, nowadays, it's still because, because especially in the United States, we have, we have a little bit of uh, space between the consumer and the producer, right? So we have a three tier system there, uh, which means that a lot of the producers up until, digital marketing uh, emerged, didn't have that direct touch with the consumer. And now they do. And so you can use metrics like, you know, um, engagement. And um, actually, you can also do conversions. So conversion basically is this, you've um, put out some news, you sent out a digital, uh, you know, the digital post. And um, if somebody takes action, on that post, whether they uh, purchase something or they click on it, or what have you, that's all measurable. And um, that's pretty powerful for PR marketing professionals who up to this point haven't had that option. One of the big issues with public relations has always been ROI, return on investment. Now we have better metrics 
Uh, we don't need to go into the details of what those are. But even still, there are metrics of people's actions, but there's no necessarily straight line connection between stimulation and action if the action you want to measure is sales. So how do you guys do it? Well, we don't. <laughs> when, when it comes right down to it, we can't, right? So um, public relations uh, requires a bit of faith. It requires a bit of faith knowing that what you're doing will, in the long term, have a positive effect on your overall business, i.e. sales, right? So um, there's a couple of old adages. One of those was by, by a famous um, newspaper man who basically said, you know, I know that at least 50% of my ad dollars are wasted. I just don't know which 50%, right? And PR really kind of falls into that, right? You know, you need to, you need to invest in PR. Um, you need to invest in these uh, different marketing channels. But at the end, you can measure them to a certain extent, but you're not going to be able to measure the entire impact. It's almost like you're measuring indicators of progress on a linear path right. from um, awareness all the way to evangelist. Um, there's a lot of things that we teach in marketing classes about that, and there are equivalencies on the social media side. But at the end of the day, the stimulation and the final thing that you want to count requires faith and what said the other day, patience. What said patience. Yeah, patience and, and, <laughs> and, and trust. Faith. That's a real challenge for a lot of producers. Yeah, it is. Um, it's 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 hard it's hard to invest in something that could take years to actually come to fruition. Mm -hmm. And that's you know, that's what PR is about. It's a, it's a long game. Um, you have to have the commitment to do this for the long term, knowing that eventually it's going to pay off. Well, and, and even that has changed dramatically, too. It used to be in, in the olden days when we had things like magazines and newspapers. Newspapers were published daily or weekly, and magazines were published monthly. Articles were written months in advance of the date of publication. Um, and so there was like time to do these things. Now with social media, if you're doing advertising on Facebook or uh, Google or Instagram or anything like that, or using influencers, um, it's an immediate stimulus, and generally you're looking at an immediate response. Um, how do you react to something like that when it's more than just being an article? Yeah, you know, we, we, we look at these measurements really as proxies, right? It, it, you know, it, it, it doesn't, honestly, it doesn't really measure how much impact it's going to have on your business. But what it does is it gives you an idea of um, what could lead to business. So, you know, for instance, with social media, you know, the proxies could be, you know, engagement percentage, you know, like how many people have engaged with your, uh, with your posts, depending on, you know, like what's, what's your total user base, your total number of likers or followers, what have you, and like how, what percentage of those are actually reacting to your posts, whether they're, you know, reacting or commenting or what have you, taking action of some sort. Um, and you know that over time, if that increases, if that percentage increases, that what you're doing is working. So the absolute number doesn't matter, but the change over time is. And most of the people that 
we deal with report to somebody else in the company and they need to justify what they're doing. And so I look at the history of this and think, well, we came up with exposures as a metric because it's something we can count and it gave us a big number. Right. Nowadays, the, the big number is not so much that matters, especially when we're talking about influencers. And let's move the conversation there a little bit. Um, all kind of, the, what's your definition of an influencer? Oh, <laughs> that's a good question. Um, the way that I would answer that is, is uh, there are different kinds of influencers, especially in the wine sector, and we treat them differently. So there are what I generally refer to as the organic influencers. So those are basically, you know, your sommeliers and um, people who are trade essentially, um, but have a presence uh, in digital channels. Those people um, can have real influence on purchasing behavior of, of consumers. So they're the equivalent of a magazine that runs an article. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you're, if you're getting a rating in a magazine, what have you, it's, it's, it's the same thing with one, one with one of these influencers. Um, it's just that they may not have as large an audience by themselves, but an aggregate, like, just like with blogging, you know, once upon a time, you know, individual bloggers don't have much of an impact, but together, you know, if 10 bloggers are writing about, your product, then it makes an impact. It's the same thing um, with these kind of micro-influencers as well. Well, yeah, so you use the word, there's kind of a hierarchy of, of impact and different, it's not that a nano, which is less than 10,000, I think, followers, you can talk about the numbers, isn't as valuable. In fact, it's more valuable because their audience is so narrowly focused that the people who are involved in it are seriously engaged. In it. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a more targeted audience. Um, I know that people don't like to use Target anymore, but um, the fact is, is that, you know, if, if a, a nano influencer with a smaller audience, that audience, you have a pretty good idea is going to be the very kind of tip of the tip of the iceberg of, of all the potential people who could be following them. But those are the people who are like the early adopters and those people who are really engaged in the particular subject that they're covering. So give us a, a, a picture of the hierarchy. We mentioned nano, we mentioned micro. Can you tell us what they are? Well, let me, let me take a step back and go to the, to the second way I define influencers. So the first one's organic influencers. And those are basically people who are unpaid, right? They're basically doing it because um, you have some sort of relationship with them. You've established it and what have you. Just like with a writer, right? And a journalist, they're generally not going to be paid by you to write an article. Um, and so that's where the organic influencer comes in. But there is also paid influencers and paid influencers um, are here to stay. You know, it's one of those things. I think there's been some resistance to it, uh, especially in the wine spirits area. Um, but the fact is, is that they have their place, right? And again, it's, it's kind of, you have to kind of look at it in terms of advertising, right? Um, and in fact, if you look at it that, that way, it's way more effective as an advertising solution than putting a, 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 some, an advertising in a publication. Right, because that's very passive. Whereas an influencer, they're gonna, they're, they have, they've already built their audience. They already have um, established their credibility with that audience. And then when they say this is a, this is a product that you should try, um, people are gonna listen. Right, a lot more than if they're just glancing through a publication and they happen to see your ad. Italian Wine Podcast, part of the Mama Jumbo Shrimp family. 
So organic is one side of it, and then the paid is the other. Correct. Uh, they're both. You're saying they're both effective. They're both, they are. They're effective in different ways, and probably I would imagine on different people. Yes. And how people then use that information because something I know one of the things that we focus on a lot is the idea of discovery. Uh, Gen Z, millennials, and everybody I think fits into this category. They like to discover something new, and they like to share that information with others. Whether it's a new wine or a fact about a new uh, 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 an existing re region or something like that. Now with social media, that empowers that kind of sharing and discussion and conversation. Tell us about the difference between organic and paid when you just told us about organic. So. Yeah. So uh, a paid influencer is, is somebody that you're actually going to pay. You basically hire them to um, do a post or write an article or what have you um, in their social channels. And it, can, it varies between um, influencers, what they do. So, you know, for instance, maybe it's an Instagram influencer. So with Instagram, it's video and photo, right? Whereas with, um, you know, maybe they're a Twitter uh, influencer. So it's going to be all, mostly text, maybe some photo. Um, but the, the benefit of using paid influencers and they're here to stay, you know, it, it, the fact is, is that there's been some resistance in the wine business when it comes to paid influencers. But when you look at it and its effectiveness, um, it's proven to be very effective as an advertising Right. And and you have various levels of influencer. Like I, you know, when, when we say paid influencer, I think a lot of people think of like the Kardashians, right? You know, they're, you know, they are paid influencers, but they they literally bring in millions of dollars um, doing that, right? Those are not probably the best influencers for you to go after as as a winning spirits producer. You really. Uh, want to go after what's kind of what's the next tier down, which is what we call micro influencers. Like that's basically like between ten thousand and two hundred thousand. You know, essentially, you know, people different define different but ways. But the Kardashians would be millions, right? Obviously, yes, exactly. Celebrities are generally going to be in the millions, um, and a micro influencer is going to be in, you know from ten thousand to hundreds of thousands. Mm -hmm. um, so that's not its enabling, right? Because you know the fact is is that you know. It's, if they have 200,000 followers, that's more than many publications. Um, so, and then, we've, then we go down to what we call nano influencers. And those are people basically who are under that um, threshold and uh, are really small, but focused, right? Their audience is engaged with them at a much higher level than, you know, a Kardashian is going to be. Uh, somebody was giving a presentation earlier and they made a, what I thought was really interesting insight, which was there's a cultural context for this. So if you're working with somebody from Napa Valley who went to Stanford and has an MBA from Harvard, they're going to understand uh, advertising, marketing, PR, and all the differences from this interweb thing um, very clearly and uh, accurately. But when we're dealing with say a farmer from mm -hmm. Puglia um, who's heard about all this stuff, doesn't really use a cell phone for that, doesn't engage in social media. Um, how do you help a company like that who recognizes the value of PR, not how to do it, that's what they pay other people for. How do you educate them on, on what it's all about, how it works and, and figure out which ones are the right tools for you to use for them? Wow, that's a great question. Um... And I will say that our approach um, at Balls of Communications is to take a very tailored and craft approach to things. 
Uh, and that is basically we do a needs assessment with you as a client when we're first getting to know each other. We determine, okay, what is it that you actually need? What are you trying to accomplish? You know, what, what strategies can we put in place? And then from that, then we just develop, you know, okay, what services and tactics are we going to uh, suggest to you as a, as a customer to uh, you know, basically get the most bang for your buck? Keep it simple. Keep it simple. So in terms of providing help for influencers, journalists, anybody of e-commerce outlets that is going to be uh, using, repeating, or... Um, referencing this kind of information. One of my, call it a pet peeve, it's not a pet peeve, it's a big gaping hole in everybody's marketing plans, which is you need one central source where someone like an influencer can get the images, the, the short video clips, memes, whatever it happens to be, without jumping through hoops so that they don't have to create it all or search for it on their own. Yet nobody does that. Why is that? Let's, let's call it spade a spade, shall we? Most winery websites suck. Agreed. Right. You know, <laughs> the fact is, is that, you know, they're just, uh, you know, I mean, um, for one reason or another, um, they're just not up to standard. Right. And so when you say a central location for, for a journalist or an influencer or whoever to find that information about your winery, it's got to be on the website. I mean, it's got to be accessible and it's got to be easily accessible. And, and not behind. Not behind a firewall. That's another right. thing I see that you have to register or give an email. Erica Ducey gave a presentation this morning that I thought was brilliant. I recommend to anybody who's listening to this to access uh, her presentation. Erica used as an example, not because of a client, but just because they have a good site, Tablas Creek, T-A-B-L-A-S. And you can go on it, check it out, and you can see the, the uh, assets that are available, not behind a paywall. They become the go-to place for her and a lot of other journalists because it's easy to get. And the, the uh, logos are in black and white. They're in color. They're vertical, horizontal aspect ratio. There's high-resolution pictures, not just crappy little JPEGs and all that. Um, Here's a quote from Mike Osborne, who is the president of Wine.com. Only 5% of the brands that they have on their website are what he would call fully optimized. Wow. That's terrible. That's really terrible. But it raises the issue that it's an opportunity for people to do something that's really very simple, very easy, really is, um, and not only can have immediate impact, but it has evergreen impact. Why don't more people, why don't more agencies lead their clients to provide this information? Um, Your agency. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, we do actually make that recommendation to every client that we have. And, you know, one of the first things we address with them is their websites. Uh, and telling them, basically, you got you to update this, you got to do that. Uh, you know, one of the first things we often do with clients is to develop what the key messaging is. Because a lot of times they just don't have it or they don't know it. So coming, coming to a, an agreement on what that is, um, helps us to update all their channels, including their website. But in terms of functionality, yeah, you know, it's um, there should always be a trade section um, or trade media section on your website where people have access to your fact sheets, your, your photos, you know, anything that they would need in order to either sell your product or write about your product. Um, it's just, it's a no-brainer. 
So there's a case where everybody, whether you have a PR agency or not, can do this. Again, it doesn't cost money, it can be done easily, Easy. and it's evergreen because you can load up the, uh, the most recent. That said, don't just put it up there and forget about it. Right? right? Because the opportunity because, is the problem. Yeah, because I've, I've seen a lot of um, uh, minor websites who basically they have the section, but then it's so out of date that it's useless. Right. right, so it needs to be updated every time you put out a new pro new release. You got to update the images. You got to update the fact sheets on your website to make sure that they align. So that would suggest that somebody needs to be given the responsibility, not just the assignment, the responsibility to digitally optimize content about the winery online, so that anybody who might talk about it can and will talk about it. Yes, um, nobody does it. No, um, but there is there there is a way of streamlining that, and that is putting a system in place, right? And um, if you've heard me talk all at any, at any time, I I beat the systems horse, you know, continually because the fact is is that we are lacking in our in the way that we build systems um, in in the wine business. Uh, we substitute with labor, right? So. You don't actually have to have a bunch of employees to do a lot of this stuff. You have the systems in place, right? And so basically what the system means is, okay, you know, when we do X, Y needs to happen, right? And so, um, for instance, when we release a new wine, this person is responsible for putting the new fact sheet and the, and the photos on the website. MSRP scores, yep. this kind of yep. stuff. And you have a list of like, here's all the things that need to be done, right? And you have that you have that system codified. And when you get to that point where like, okay, I got a new product, okay, call out the system, what do we need to do? So it doesn't require, it doesn't rely on just one person to do something, right? Because if you have the system in place, anybody can do it. Um, if they have obviously access to the to the website, which, and, and which is, is that, another issue with a lot of web wineries. Is that is that guideline, that template for whatever you want to call it, um, generally available to people? Or is that something that's only available through PR agencies? Well, you can build it yourself, but there's no there's no standard per se. Um, and I think each uh, agency is going to do it a little differently depending on mm -hmm. you know how they how they feel um, is most effective. But um, for us, you know, the the idea for us is that. We're trying to make you successful. We're trying to make you um, efficient. And, you know, we want you to make money and save money rather than waste money. So I that was a real leading question. If uh, It's in my book, pages 259 to 263. And there's the templated list of all the assets and prioritized by what's really important to the people who make the difference, like the guys at Wine Searcher, the Vino, Drizzly, and all that, who want this information from right. you. They're not objecting to it. They actually they need it because they need to update their content. They just don't want to spend a lot of time doing it. Yeah. One last subject, then we'll go uh, to the last question. And that is differing messages for trade versus consumer. Mm -hmm. Could you just comment on that? Yeah, you know, when you are uh, considering a public relations <laughs> campaign or um, system, you have to consider that not every audience is equal, right? You're not talking to the same audience across the board. So each audience is going to have different requirements and different messages are going to resonate differently with that. So for us, like a general consumer audience who doesn't really know much about wine, they're going to want to know um, different information than 
the trade person who needs to know like where the, where the vendor is and what the soil type is and you know what the training is. Honestly, nobody really cares about that beyond that anyway. But but it, but what it does is it gives the trade person an education in terms of so they can talk knowledgeably about the wines that they're trying to sell. Right. So I find this to be a real challenge and it's kind of validated when you look in uh, some of the print trade magazines where they put consumer ads and mm -hmm. the audience doesn't want to see that they don't want to know about your grandfather or, you know, how wonderful the wine is. What they're interested in is what's the MSRP, what's the um, uh, ABV, where can, what distributor is carrying it. Yeah margins and those kinds of things. Yeah. It's a, Which, it's, of course, is a terrible thing to put on an ad. <laughs> no, but you can have something that captures their attention that you can use a QR code to... Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. Yes, yes. You can you basically say, you, you can have something that's going to resonate with the trade audience, you know, buy the glass um, or specials or something like that, and then have a QR code or a website address where they can go to get more information. Okay. So... Uh, reach the end of our interview here. One of the things I like to do is to end each interview with a, a, a request. Well, what's the big takeaway? If somebody was listening to this in a, say a winery in Puglia, we're interesting, we're listening to this. What's the one thing they can take away and actually put into use immediately? Well, I think the first thing is, is, you know, update the website, <laughs> you know, uh, or find somebody to do it. That's, that, that's, you know, you have to consider that Today, a website is basically ground zero for everything you do, right? It is the one place that you can keep everything. And it's the one place where everybody's going to go to find information about you, right? So um, it's your, in many in many cases, it's your first line uh, of, of contact with with a customer. Sometimes it's, it's on the shelf, which is, which is why it's important to have a good label and package design. But... If it's not the first and the second, the website is where people are going to go to find more information about the wines, about the background of the winery, and any other details that they're going to want. And this is something everybody can do. It doesn't, once again, updating the website, you don't need to hire an agency and spend $50,000 to redesign the thing. It's just within the confines of the structure of the website, populated with content that people need and want. You can tell what that is by looking at your Google Analytics and seeing what people are looking for. <laughs> assuming that they have Google Analytics. My guest tonight is Mike Wangbickler, president of Balzac Communications. Mike, I want to thank you for being a guest on the show and uh, coming to uh, Wine to Wine and sharing your time with us. Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. I mean, coming to Italy and doing the podcast, there's nothing better. <laughs> <laughs> you left that with Steve Ray. <laughs> cool. Uh, thank you for listening. This is your host, Steve Ray. Uh, tune back in next Monday for another edition of Get U.S. Market Ready with Italian wine people. And Mike, before you leave, if people wanted to contact you, where would they go? Thank you. Um, it's really easy. It's balzac.com is our website. Your so. website. B-A-L-Z-A-C.com. <laughs> Super simple. Great. Thank you for your time, Mike. Thank you. Thanks again for listening. This is Steve Ray with Get U.S. Market Ready with Italian Wine People on the Italian Wine Podcast. 